A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in today's episode? I interviewed Pablo Hiner Abad, Global Director of Data, and Javier Havo Granda, Senior Data Manager at Glovo. Some key takeaways and thoughts from Pablo and Havo's point of view. I'm just kind of combining their point of view rather than calling out the uh, <laughs> different things that the different people had said. So number one, it's okay to not fit the exact or complete picture of data mesh in your early journey. Focus on what matters to your org and implementation and focus on learning over trying to be perfect. Iteration is possible and not too costly with Data Mesh. That's sort of one of the main points of Data Mesh. That's what it's trying to change and what it's trying to really reflect on. Number two, when selecting your first use case, look for high value and low dependencies. The less cross-team coordination work needed to actually get to an initial end data product that has value the better. And buy-in is much easier if the producers are one of the consumers too, of course. (laughs) Number three, when starting out, really look at how thin of a slice you can get away with for your MVP. Be prepared to make some hard compromises. Make them with your eyes open. It's tech debt, but taken on consciously. Number four, focus on solving your problems of today instead of trying to solve all your future problems. Fixing the challenges of today will set you up to fix the challenges of six months from now in six months. Number five, focus on reducing cycle times to creating and iterating on data products more than you probably think you should. It's easy to get focused on delivering new data products instead of delivering on the capabilities to deliver new data products, but that will cost you more and more 
as your data mesh implementation matures. Number six, an important quote to remember regarding product thinking. If you aren't embarrassed by the first version of your product, you shipped too late. Your data products don't need to be perfect when launched, right? Just have everybody that's involved have eyes open about them. Number seven, just using your domain mapping from your operational slash domain-driven design side as your data domain map is likely to lead to some, some big challenges. Look to how your data flows to figure out good data domain mapping. Number eight, misaligned domain maps between the operational side and data side can also cause issues because a team may need to own the data domain, but they don't necessarily own the operational system or domain. Be prepared for that. Number nine, Glovo's biggest data pain point pre-data mesh was that data quality was often not great and people spent huge amounts of time trying to check the data. If that's a challenge at your org, you can probably get funding to fix that. You know, Carolina Hensel talked about that in episode 104 as well. Number 10, if data trust is a key pain point, when you make compromises early, as you know, said earlier, you must make some hard compromises. Do not compromise on quality, or at least, you know, have very, very clear communication on what quality means. That is the only real way to gain back people's trust in data actually provide them that high quality, trustable data, and they understand how they can trust it and in what ways. 11, domain ownership is likely to be the most challenging data mesh principle in many organizations, partially because it is one that is most centered on change management and and around people, right? Number 12, it's easy for a central data team to fall into prioritization by loudest escalation, right? When Moving to data mesh, make sure you don't fall into the same trap anywhere. Make conscious decisions based on value, not, you know, loudness. <laughs> Number 13, it will be important to define your minimum viable data product. Is that the data shaped into a format consumers can use? Does that mean if target users are not that data literate, ownership extends into the visualization tooling? Hard to say what is right for every organization, but kind of be specific about it, right? Define that. Number 14, only produce a data product if there is a known use case. But once a data product is created, owners should think about how they might serve additional users. You know, you might have to extend the data product somewhat, but a lot of it should be how, who else could use this information? And finally, number 15, there needs to be more specific examples of what people's early platform builds look like in data mesh. It's really tough to think about every capability and what might fit where. So we need more people, uh, more of you out there (laughs) to share kind of what your early platform builds look like. So people understand that they're where they've got coverage and where they don't and where they might need to add coverage early and where they can make a conscious decision to kind of keep things manual. But there just needs to be more examples for people to uh, actually understand. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode.
Very, very excited for today's episode. I've got uh, Pablo Hiner and Javo Granda from Globo here. And Pablo is the Global Director of Data and Javo is the Senior Data Manager. And they've been on a data mesh journey for quite a while, right? We actually had um, some folks that have worked with you on uh, a little bit ago with uh, Sean Kaiser and Gustavo Drakenberg. So um, very excited about this. And we're going to talk about kind of even the backdrop of before data mesh. Why data mesh? What, what was the longer term issue that, that you all were seeing? Like why other people should consider this? You know, how to think about data product ownership and that you're still <laughs> not 100% on exactly how, how that should all work. And I think that's a very, very valid thing for people to understand that we, in general, in data mesh, we don't have all the answers right now. <laughs> it's bleeding edge, you're going to get cut. So, um, and then, uh, are you really ready for data mesh? No, no one really is. I still think that's uh, that's a a very good um, thing that you told me before is nobody's really ready. You think you're ready. It's kind of like when you're jumping into an ice pool or something like that, you're like, I'm ready. And then you, you get hit with the ice and you're like, whoa, okay, maybe maybe I wasn't quite as much. So um, with that, if, if uh, before we jump into the, the conversation, if you could give a little bit of uh, an introduction to yourself and to Glovo, and then we can jump into the conversation at the end. I can, uh, I can start myself. Uh, Pablo, I actually, I wasn't supposed to be working in data. I started my career in the automotive world and stumbled uh, across data accidentally, got addicted to it and I've spent over the last 10 years of my career uh, doing data and, and building data teams and getting excited about uh, many different uh, technologies. And then I arrived to at Global. Uh, for those that uh, don't know, we are a multi-category uh, delivery company. Uh, we Our mission is to give everyone easy access to anything in your city. So we are kind of a life hack. You need something, uh, you are comfy at home, who can get that for me? That's going to be global. That's what we do. And we are very tech heavy uh, to make uh, people's life, lives easier. Yeah, I'll, I, want, I want still more time. I'll pass it on to, to Jabo. Yeah, awesome. So Havo here. Um, well, I started my career uh, looking at cables and, and connections and routers, uh, a telecom engineer, a bit of electronics, uh, but then the software side of things called my attention because it's a lot more creative and then eventually moved to data um, because that's where the evolution of code and, 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 and software um, was leading me, right? So. Um, well, for the past uh, six, seven years, I've been, I've been working in data. Um, I joined Global uh, almost four years ago uh, when it was really a much smaller company than what it is today. And, and yeah, it's super exciting the, 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 the journey that we've had in, in Global, like Pablo mentioned. Um, making this service super easy, uh, it's really hard. Um, and data is a key aspect of that. And, and well, we'll talk about the challenges in a bit, but I've been scaling this, this uh, helping scaling the teams and, and, uh, and how we, we work with data, how we strike value. Um, so yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, well, again, thanks for, for joining. I'm, I'm really excited to, to have another, somebody who's, who's far down the journey and who has, uh, who is also willing to talk about the the pain points and the sharp edges and things like that, right? I think 
an important part of at least what I'm hoping to do with the community and stuff is to make sure people are aware of that this isn't a silver bullet. This isn't a a uh, easy thing to do, uh, but hopefully we can get to a place where it's a very worthwhile thing that that we've all uh, attempted to do. So I, I think let let's start with kind of the backdrop uh, of what were the longer term issues like what what were you actually um what were the causes that that said were hey we need to do something different what was what led you to to be open to data mesh because especially when you started looking at it you know it was it was a few years back so um you're uh you were kind of very early in one of the earliest adopters and so there wasn't a lot of patterns out there there wasn't a lot of stories so what was going on? What was the backdrop to make you kind of say, huh, we should really give this thing a try? Yeah. So to give you a bit of, uh, of context, uh, Globo is and has always been a very data-heavy uh, company. But on the, on the flip side, uh, we've never, initially, we didn't put a lot of attention in data architectures and, and being like finding super strong data profiles who can build a uh, durable architecture and so on. So we kind of evolved uh, over time and we followed some patterns that were more anti-patterns, like the way we use our data warehouse, we dumped all sorts of data there. Uh, we didn't do a lot of data modeling. So we really, we built things without strong foundations. And that led us to like, as the company was of a moderate size, things were working maybe with more uh, heavy lifting than, than if things were built in a different way, but things were moving on. But we reached a point at which we really had quite a lot of technical depth. We really had quite a lot of escalations. And I think that the most, the key factor was people didn't really trust data. Like when you access a source and you needed to go and kind of access three other sources for a, supposedly the same thing. And it was good news that the three said the same, but that pretty much never happened. Like every everything was repeated, but beyond that, everything was different. It was very difficult to, the time to data was huge, not because you didn't know what it was, but once you got there, you didn't know if it was correct. So you spent quite a lot of time in checking quality. Um, you know, that wasn't the most often uh, thing that people did. And, and like you needed the answers, you used the best thing you had available. We made decisions with that. And sometimes we realized that those decisions were based on data that wasn't, completely correct. And um, yeah, we we got to a point in which we said, hey, we need to do something about our quality. And we need to do, we need to have, to give everyone the ability to get the data they need, to have certainty about that data, to be able to ask someone if they are not completely certain about anything about the data. And that was, that was for us, what took us to, to data mesh. We, what we wanted was clear. We wanted to know uh, if a data set was reliable, it was, if it was high quality, we wanted to have the ability to find it. Uh, we wanted to have a single source of truth. And we obviously wanted that data to be owned by someone, maintained by someone, and evolved by someone. One and not 10, just one and not zero, obviously. And that's what take us to, took us to, to data mesh because data mesh actually tick all those boxes, all those problems that we had. Uh, it, it was supposed to give us a solution for that. How about somebody who's been kind of there for quite a while as well? That uh, what, What's your perspective yeah. on kind of what was going on there? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, to add to to add to what Pablo said, I, I think from the team's perspective, we also felt kind of how, how bottleneck how, how we built a system that created team bottlenecks, right, and communication bottlenecks. No, so we had one central team, data engineering platform team that was it, it couldn't handle all the requests, right, and, and they knew it. We all knew it, but we didn't we didn't actually saw a solution until yeah, data mesh. Like tells you that this, uh, you distribute ownership, you build an agnostic platform, and and you can scale from there, right? So from the team's perspective, that was that was clearly something that at the beginning it was not an issue, right? It, it was, yeah, well, the number of of data needs are are were manageable, but then as the as the business expanded, and and that's a tricky thing, no? When you have a business that expands much faster than what you can scale a technology, right? Because it's not. It's not you cannot expand a uh, scale of technology the same, at the same pace. So we definitely expanded way faster than than our our technology could keep uh, pace off. So that's when problems started to become like really really painful and escalations and and untrusty and untrust everywhere. Right. So um, yeah yeah that was that was to add a bit of perspective on on the teams. And you know it's kind of funny. Um... I don't know if you've ever heard the uh, the thing about, uh, you know, it's kind of cruel, but boiling a frog where you put the frog in in uh, regular temperature water and you you turn the heat up underneath it. And, you know, if you put it in at when it's boiling, it'll just jump out. But a, as the temperature rises and rises and rises. So was there a tipping point or was there a, a, a thing where or was it just, you know, you had gotten to a place where you're like, this just isn't really working for us. Uh, and that there was a, a big signal that others might be able to say, you know, is is the water boiling when they're kind of in the water already? They're the frog in that water. Is, is there anything that you saw that made it go, okay, we really need a change? Or was it just everybody kind of was frustrated and nobody really could put exact words to it and then somebody saw something like the the data mesh you know the posts by jamac um I, I like your your frog uh, analogy um i think the the thing was that we all knew that a change was uh, necessary but all the changes that we were proposing were incremental were based on the same foundations that we had that were not particularly um, robust and and the curious thing about our roadmap is that it was driven by the loudest escalation. It wasn't driven by a super long term plan about what we wanted to do and so on. Because yeah, we we were living from escalation to escalation, and you know, Scott, when you build something that is not super robust, it essentially eats up all your capacity. You are dedicated to keep up with all your problems rather than than driving forward. So um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that there was a one single day in which we decided we need to make this change. It was kind of cumulative. Um, but yeah, we, it reached a point in, in, at which we understood that all the increments that we were delivering were not taking us any closer because of how said, the business was moving faster uh, than we could deliver increments. So, so yeah, we, we decided to start a project in which we look at this from a higher perspective and not from the what's going to be the next increment that fixes the latest problem. Yeah. Yeah, I think also, uh, I mean, the first realization was that we had no strategy for data, right? Like that, that was, I think that was a good one. Like, okay, we, we're fixing things like Pablo said, like incremental, but what is our strategy? 
like long term, right? Like, and acknowledging that you have, don't have a strategy first, it's kind of the, the first step. No, it's like <laughs> accepting the problem until before you can uh, decide to change it. Um, so that was that was the first. And then I think it was a timing. Uh, it was good timing also. I think there were some some references of of and some articles and videos running around in the company, like I'm talking about data mesh, and then and then yeah, it was kind of build up that momentum uh, to get to the point of saying, yeah, this is this is the strategy that ticks uh, all of our pain points. And when you think about seeing something like data mesh, where it's, it is such a fundamental shift for a lot of organizations, like when you saw it was like, oh, this thing will solve all of our issues, or is it like this thing speaks to the issues we're having, so we should look at it? Like, how did you think about that, that initial impact? Because I, I feel like the people who are bought in kind of lose that perspective as to go, I just got hit in the chest, right? Like this wasn't like a, a, a thing where it was like somebody tapped me on the shoulder. It was like, boom, I got hit by this thing that that's such a different approach. So like when you first started to look at it, was it that it was, oh, this is the, the shining light? Or was it like, this is really scary or, or a bit of both? Want to go, Howell? Yeah, well, I, I think, look, uh, one of the things we knew, I think, before Data Mesh is that we, we knew we needed a platform a bit more agnostic to the business, right? That, that, that was not a, I don't think that was a big surprise, right? Um, the, the rest probably spoke more to our problems than, than to our, actually the, the solution, right? So it was more like, yeah, I feel identified by the lack of ownership, for example, of data ownership, right? Like we, we really don't know who owns what, uh, where does it come from? Um, product thinking apply. I mean, it's apply 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 product thinking to data is not something new either, right? But the way like data mesh approaches it was a lot more tangible, uh, and and it made more sense to us, right? Like, um, so so it was it was in a way part of part of it was new. I think to I would say the first principle of domain ownership and federated governance were the ones that spoke more to our problems. And the other ones were things like we kind of knew we had to do, but we really didn't have the framework or the strategic uh, context to do it. Right. So um, yeah, I would say that. I think I think Scott that for us it wasn't like it was either data mesh or nothing. Like this is the only thing that can solve our problems. We knew that there were a couple of ways to get there, but data mesh definitely gave us a structure, gave us a. a, a an approach to attack it that more people were looking into. So for us, it was like, look, we are not going to be going on this journey alone because there's many people looking into this. There's a lot of uh, kind of vibe around it. There's many people trying to resolve the same problem. So it's kind of was the right uh, approach at that time. Yeah. Yeah, It's funny because I I talked to somebody else that's um, in Spain as well um, recently about um, when they first started, they kind of read the article and basically started, you know, a week or two later, and they had been looking for um, answers from the community and things like that for a while. And then they just kind of gave up because they didn't they didn't see that because, you know, they were like, OK, there really isn't that much out there about how to do this. And so they kind of gave up about 18 months ago. And so then um, when I reached out to them because I saw they presented at a conference, they were like, where was this when I was doing this? 
right? Like that's what we're trying to, to hit upon and, and have these conversations, right? Um, so, you know, data mesh giving you the structure, but data mesh gives you kind of a structure, especially around, at least in my view, around the communication about the, the challenges. Like Havo, as you said, you kind of feel seen and heard, right? Like it's like, oh, this is my pain. This is somebody actually, there's a, a song, um, I can't remember who, who sang it uh, originally, but um, it's called Killing Me Softly. And uh, the Fugees covered it a, a while back in the like late 90s or whatever. And um, it's like telling my whole life with his words, uh, you know, Killing Me Softly with his, with his song. Because it's, it's like, oh, this person really has identified all of my pain points, has identified this stuff. So when you started to think about data mesh, what was it that it, it gave you all a common language and a jumping off point and that you weren't saying, this is the way we have to do it versus this is what we want to communicate. And it, and it also gives us that, that picture of where we want to go, but we're going to have to go in our own direction. Or were you trying to stay super close to the, um, to the kind of uh, again, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, there's the rules as written and there's the rules as intended. And there's the rules as written is what some people try and do and be like, I need to stay as close versus like, what are we trying to achieve with this? So when you think about that um, kind of concept and how to get going, was there anything where you said, okay, we can we can start to move on this one aspect earlier or no, we want to kind of make sure we've got all of our stuff kind of aligned, you know, across all four of the pillars or the principles before you started to move. Like when you, when you said, okay, this is something we want to really think about and evaluate, were, were you saying, okay, let's like, how, how did you start to move forward? What, what were you starting to think about? What's that minimum viable, whatever, right? Is that, uh, uh, putting out a data product? Is that putting out a platform? Is that minimum viable mesh? Like, okay, how are we going to prove out whether this is going to work for us? Because you're not just going to say, oh, we're going to do this strategy. Like, okay, we, we found our strategy. This is our strategy versus this is going to give us the framework to to create our strategy. So I think that the way, the way we, we, I think you were talking a bit uh, about how by the book or how perfect, according to Zamak's description, did we go with uh, with data mesh? And I think that um, it serves us a lot uh, as, a, as as guidance. But we found our way as we as we went forward. We really discover what we wanted to to achieve as we move forward. Because initially, yeah, we wanted to cover absolutely everything, every single aspect, every single capability, everything. Uh, but then we started to move forward, and the way we did it is we didn't say, okay, just delivering a data product or just having the capability. What we did is let's thin slice everything. Yeah. So we we said, okay, when when are we going to consider that we have MVP? Look, that's going to be when we have a very super simple platform that can at least uh, read and transform data, and we are going to be creating one or two data products that uh, have been done in quasi-autonomy, in a quasi-autonomous way uh, by the team, because obviously the platform wasn't there, so we had to do it uh, while, while we move forward. And, and, it's, and at the same time, we want to have that governance built in and, and already defined the main, the top principles that for us were quality and security. 
and share that with the team and, and let the team do that. So we did the bare minimum in, in all pillars, but we did it. We, we did go and have uh, an MVP on every one. So we had a thin slice that cut across everything that data mesh is supposed to, to bring. Yeah, it, it was it was hard compromises as well, because at some point I, I remember having meetings where we said like, well, this is not data product as it's defined or, or, or all the boxes that should tick. But if we stop and say, we need to tick all these boxes before releasing, we'll, we'll never get there in time to have also like prove value to business leaders, right? Like, because I mean, business leaders are not concerned about like, yeah, specific technical details, but we were, right? Like, but so those compromises of saying, well, okay, we're gonna say security and quality are the most important things. The rest will will be fine until we get better. Um, and we acknowledge that, right? So it's about making those things slices and, and the compromises that come with that. And it, it is it is it is a hard compromise because you read what it's supposed to be a data product. That's awesome, right? Like that's all, all the boxes and interoperable, secure, data quality, all that. And it's, well, what can we do now in a way that delivers value initially, right? And then we... We, we prove value and then we, we move from there. Well, and I think what you just said there is really, really important because part of what I've been even trying to do with the community is give people permission to move forward. And exactly what you're saying of, and, and I, I, there's a lot of scar tissue. It's funny, the more that you talk to people that are newer to data, I feel like they're, um, more accepting and and more agile relative to data and data mesh because they don't have the scar tissue of if you got something wrong in data historically the cost of change your your tech debt was immense and it was almost impossible to pay down rather than fully rip and replace and that was the only way to pay down tech debt versus you just talked about compromises or conscious decisions to take on technical debt. Historically with data, we haven't made those conscious, right? Or or we haven't really had an ability to say like, let's balance this, let's, let's plan our roadmap relative to paying it down. Let's get to a minimum viable thing, right? A minimum viable data warehouse was, was you know, complete garbage basically uh, a few months after it was done because you you had to to have everything matching up with the schema or or you were dumping everything in and nothing was interoperable and all of that and that we can iterate towards interoperability of when is that value there right your first use case you, that interoperability may not need to be there it may not be that that's where the value is so and getting to that initial value and improving later Right. It's it's um, like I, I kind of think of it as, you know, we keep talking about or a lot of people talk about the big picture, but we can't think of data mesh and data as like a painting because when the painting is done, the painting is done. Right. Like you've you've shown the painting. It is now hanging in a gallery. You don't get to take it down and make improvements versus in the digital world. You kind of do. Right. You get to, you get to have that digital copy. And so somebody can see what the picture is now, but you can continue to make improvements. And I think that might be, I just came up with that analogy off the top of my head because I was just thinking about like how we keep saying the big picture, the big picture. But I think it's really important and, and exactly what you said as well, business leaders didn't care. Um, 
when you think about that, that thin vertical slice, right? Because you do have to hit all of the pillars or all the principles or however you want to think about that. Um, like, how did you start to make those decisions, those compromises? You said security and quality. Was it basically security is cover your butt? Or was there another aspect to security? And then quality, was it because quality was to drive that trust and to build that momentum around trust or, you know, I don't, I don't want to give answers for you, but like, why were those the things that you chose? So in terms of uh, quality, you got it right. Like that's what, that was the main driver for choosing to do something different. Right. And if we did improve quality, uh, going to a, a different paradigm, then we knew it, it was worthless. So quality wasn't a, wasn't something we could compromise. Obviously, we when we went for uh, for quality, uh, we didn't have a quality platform that that we do now or a data observability tool that we do now. Uh, but we at least created tests for uh, different dimensions of the data, uh, like validity, consistency, correctness, and so on. Uh, we simply create expectations, and and that was it. We did it, and and we at least proved that that quality uh, was something that we weren't willing to compromise. On security is because one of the key pillars for us is, yeah, let's not get into jail by what we do. And we at least uh, wanted to to have the bare, the basics, right? Like making sure that, right, like, for example, the data was classified, not everyone, like depending on the classification that uh, we could uh, we could make sure that not everyone had access to uh, to the entire data set and so on. And, and that the data was under an infrastructure that would had the minimum security requirements. So those those were the two because one is don't go to jail. Two, uh, let's let's make sure that we don't fall under the same trap and deliver something that is not high quality. How what's what's your take on that? Yeah, well, I, I think probably it's, it's worth adding to the context of the, the the first use case that we tackled, which was customer behavior interaction events, right? Um, or interaction events from from the main app, right? The customer app. So that of course has a big a security implication, right? You're 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 handling customer data, um, and also the trust part came from not having visibility of how our users interacted, right? Within the the app, so there were there was no simple way of knowing, okay, how our users navigate through through the app when they place orders, right? Um, and that was. There was there was no quality or, or even visibility, right? So just putting behind the team to do that and actually taking this as a as the main as the main use case was we knew these these two things were super important, right? To to um, to deliver value initially to do these things like so yeah um, yeah that was it. And I think that that um, I know I'm I'm not asking questions off of exactly what we talked about in in the in the pre call, but I think this is a really useful question to, to dig into a little bit here is how did you choose your first use case? Was it, you said it was incremental, you know, was that to prevent political issues or was it just like you knew that this had value or that it was relatively easy to prove some value and prove some incremental value and it wasn't going to step on anybody's mm. toes or like what, how right. did you decide what was my first use case or what were my first few use cases? Yeah, I think I think it was uh, a factor of value um, and dependency, dependencies. 
Um, so these use cases didn't have as much dependencies in terms of data sources. Um, and the value was really ripe uh, to be delivered. So there was a lot of, um, yeah, business leaders, people, uh, product managers that needed this data. Um, and didn't have access to it before, or that it took before it took a lot of complex analysis. So we saw, well, I mean, we cannot boil the ocean at the, at the first try. Um, we cannot do the most complex data product on the company that involves uh, many dependencies of with many teams and microservices, uh, data sources uh, everywhere. Let's pick something that it's we know exactly the lineage of. Uh, has low dependencies, and then let's let's build the value that we know already. The pain points have been expressed by many areas of of the business. So that was that was that was it. Yeah, dependency and 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 value. No, fully fully agree with with Havo's perspective. Like we are now seeing the mesh uh, as as it evolves, and we're seeing some of the new data products that we are delivering, and it has kind of five layers of dependency to other data products that we have delivered, and and that would. That would have made us fail for sure because you need it. You need to realize all those dependencies before you get to what you want to deliver and has business value. We went for something that has very limited dependencies, and as Javier said, I remember uh, one of the the VPs when I got into the company is, "Look, I have a mission for you. I want to know what the heck happens in the app," and and it was as simple as that. Like uh, no. No sugarcoating, nothing. Like we really needed to have more visibility into what our users were doing, what decisions they were making, where uh, we were losing conversion and so on. And and this gave it to us. And it was it was a huge pool of value that we we were not fully leveraging. Yeah, and I think you're talking about like failure modes and things like that. You, what you chose was one that doesn't have a lot of failure modes, right? Because if you don't have those dependencies, but kind of. Uh, it seems like you had buy-in, but where, was there buy-in from the people who were um, the data producers? Because in a lot of organizations, they're having a lot of struggles with um, driving buy-in because it's like, well, why would I participate? You know, it's a bit of that that prisoner's dilemma or whatever. Why would I participate? Why would I do this if it's not going to directly benefit me? So like, was it that the the producers were also getting the benefit of that or... Like how how have you how did you talk about that initially and how have, how has that kind of moved forward? Yeah, um, well, the good thing is that we in this case the the, the producers uh, didn't didn't need to do much, right? Uh, the events, I mean, the, the the data was being collect was being collected. Um, we were already uh, tracking uh, interactions, so I mean, of course, with a lot of improvements on the quality, but. But the, the data was already there, and part of the producers uh, was were were going to be consumers too, because product managers in the in the teams where where the tracking is done uh, were all were also needing these these insights and, and these analytics to be able to decide what product features to to develop uh, later. So, of course, from from the software development point of view, there was there was not um, much implication at the beginning. Uh, but I, we, we truly see now that we're starting to to evolve into other data products that where where this buying needs to happen, and we're actually this is one of of actually the the challenges we still have is to is to get to that to that alignment. 
but for the first one at least i think that was, that was also clear uh that made it less risky and i think scott you are you're touching on a very good uh, good point about one of the things that uh, data mesh is, is bringing which is every source or every set of of data has a clear owner and and they have end to end ownership and that was actually one of the the compromises we decided to make and to move that change management to a later a, a bit later on like when we started we didn't want we didn't aim to have each and every source data or database flowing into our system and, and making a data product uh, we didn't aim to have those teams publishing the data as data products and and as consuming from those data products because that essentially meant engineering teams uh, being being forced to be one of the first ones to come into data mesh and being one of the first ones to publish data products because essentially every dependency came from an engineering team and we as data haven't figured it out yet and obviously we didn't want to force other teams to do something that we still couldn't do ourselves so initially the way we we approach it is ownership started fully on data teams and data teams were owners of sources that they didn't fully control. And at the point in which we are now, we are pushing that ownership upstream. We are now delivering capabilities. So in a very simple way, an engineering team can take end-to-end ownership. And when, when they publish, like their ownership finishes in, the, in our case, in the, in the data lake, or um, they actually publish data products. But we didn't have that on day one because, again, another dependency, another risk that we wanted to take out of, of our project. And I think that's an interesting point because exactly what you just said there, your first data products were not at all kind of, well, I don't want to say not at all, but pretty close to not mesh compliant, right? Or or with, with the rules as written or whatever. But the rules as intended is you got moving. You got to a place where they understood what was coming down and they understood that they had to continue to serve their events in a proper way and, and that you were going to be working with them to, to ensure quality and really understand what this really means, right? Oh, I'm not just going to assume the columns mean this, but like that you didn't say, okay, now you, a lot of people are, are trying to go for the highest value use cases. And what they do with that is they go to the domain and say, you now have to do this because you have the value locked in. And so give us all the value and it's not a necessarily a value back to them. And so when you're finding these first use cases, I think this compromise is really important, right? And that it's okay to compromise. It's okay to not jump to the end, right? Uh, it's, uh, have you ever seen that, that, uh, sorry, I just keep using like funny analogies from my head, but have you ever seen that <laughs> thing of how to draw an owl? And it says, first draw a circle and then the next picture is draw the rest of the damn owl. And it's like, you know, like this really nicely shaded, like beautiful owl. And it's like, okay, no, we don't have to jump to that. We can, we can go down that, that path. Cause otherwise you get, have you also seen that one of the horse where it's like the, the, the engineers are doing the first half, the front half of the horse. And it's just beautifully shaded. And then it's like, and then you get into a time crunch and it's, totally. it's not nearly as good. And then the back end is like a four-year-old drew the back end of the horse. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, be conscious about it. Yeah. That, that's where product like applied product thinking was, makes it really helpful to move it, to get moving. Uh, and I think it was Rick Hoffman, the, the, uh, 
the founder of LinkedIn who said, if, if the first version of what you launch doesn't embarrass you, you launch too late, right? And that was kind of the, that was the kind of a little bit of the, of the mindset behind this because we, we didn't have any, any strategy behind. Now we had one and this was what the, was a way to push forward. And yeah, we didn't need to be perfect at, at the first go. So yeah, that's, that's, a, that's where product thinking helps a lot uh, to build that MVP mindset. Well, and it, it encourages actual conversation and trust because you're, you're telling people, you kind of talked about this earlier, but like a point is with trust, it's that it's a two-way conversation. It's not, ta-da, I have presented this thing. You now get everything you want versus, hey, we made some compromises. Let's be clear about what those are, what they mean, right? So I think this also transitions well into something we had planned to talk about of, um, you know, you're talking about what is a data product, but like, what to you is that minimum viable data product? What was it at that point? <laughs> and, and what would you say it is now? Because your bar has presumably gotten up a little bit higher, or maybe it hasn't. That, that's also a viable strategy. But then if we can also talk about what the concept of a data product means to different stakeholders. As you said earlier, your, your, business, your business users don't care about the technical implementation, right? If it's held together with, with uh, gum and, and, and tape, it's not a big deal for them as long as they're able to rely on the gum and the tape or whatever. Um, and, and what we've, you know, with the conscious technical debt, it's, it's, it's important. But like, I would love to hear about what do you actually think of as that minimum viable data product to get it out the door, get the feedback and improve rather than trying to make it perfect up front? And then how do you actually communicate that? Like, what's the definition when you're talking to other people, especially the non-technical side where, you know, they, they really understand what data mesh might mean? Um, yeah, I can, I can go. Um, look, I, I think the, for us, the MVP was really a, a set of, a data set, and what I mean, data set is a group of uh, group of tables, right? Uh, that had some uh, interactions and some enrichments to it, you know, to power these insights to know what happened within within the app. Um, what was key there it was that, um, and with these compromises that, that we talk about, quality and security being the first ones, right? What was key? was when we connected a visualization tool to it. Because as you mentioned, for stakeholders, like for, for an analyst, having the data accessible and with, with quality and knowing what it means and, and all that was good enough, right? So for, for them, the data product was that probably. But for a product manager or a business leader, that meant nothing, right? Like what are you going to do with a, with a data set that you need to query with using SQL? You, that that's not that's not a data product now. So when we connected the visualization tool, that's when it became a lot more real for another level of stakeholders, right? And I think this speaks to the definition of a data product having different meanings depending on who you ask, right? Um, so that's that's definitely one one side. So and like I think that the, the the definition that we we have of, the, of a data product is is most close is, is more closer to the to, to the book. Actually, we haven't refined it yet. Uh, actually, we, I think we should. Um, but it's more closer to the book in the way that is what pro is data that in a shape or format that suits the customer that provides value for the customer, right? 
where data is the is the core aspect of that value, right? It's not the UI, it's not the it's not the latency, it's the data itself, right? Um, so I think that's uh, maybe Pablo, you wanna you you wanna do another stab at that definition, but that's kind of what we've uh, been talking to. Yeah, I, I I do agree. I do agree with with the definition uh, provided, um, and especially on the on the value side, right? Like you produce data products because they are serving a need, and that's that's the part that changed uh, a lot. Like now, like before, we were uh, very centralized, and and uh, every well, I mean it in the way that every team was linked to the to another team, and that team was serving only the needs of the immediate they were partnering with yeah so we are in different sections of the company and so on now one of the main differences is that you don't look at who's next to you you look at who can use it and talk to them and i'm, I'm talking about the figure of the data product manager so you are not covering one single need of the person that is sitting next to you you are figuring out what how what need, what business needs these that i'm producing can cover and, and you are incorporating those into your into your data product. So as Habo said, we can have tables, but it's, it only gets a data product when it's serving a clear uh, business need. And I think that getting to the to the specifics of when do you say that this is a data product, and when you cannot say that this is a a data product, um, I think that one of the key beyond the fact that hey, uh, the team who produces this is autonomous. It has a single owner, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it, it also meets uh, certain criteria. And for us, it was like, if we call it data product, it's because I can find it. And now you can find it because we have a very simple catalog, but we have a catalog. And also, you know, that when you read it, you can trust it. And obviously, that has some implications. So, And, and as you said, business leaders don't need to know what means. They just need to know that someone has produced an insight with that data, and they can trust it. Maybe for the person producing it, it means that they have defined a set of quality checks that they have been applied, that they are running uh, every time that the data is calculated. And if something goes wrong, they are going to get an alarm immediately. That's what it means for them. Um, yeah, Double-clicking double on, on, on the aspect of trust uh, and how we link trust to the definition of a data product. I, I think you, Marisa Fish talked about this a little bit. But you just talked about somebody has generated an, an insight. I think we need to get super intentional as well about why we're sharing information, right? If we're just sharing data, just the ones and zeros, are we really sharing what needs to be shared? But when we're also sharing like data products, is this that I am creating a space for you to generate your own insights? Or am I sharing a prepackaged insight? Or am I sharing the prepackaged insight plus the so what? Like, what does this insight actually mean for you? And that all of those are valid, but like that we're a lot more intentional in how we have those conversations with people instead of like, I'm, I'm very, very bad about this because I do a lot of things about my brain just likes additional information. So I give a lot of people FYIs, right? I found this thing. And so like trying to, to get people used to the fact that I just say, here is additional context that may help you, right? Uh, and it's, it might be the insight or it might even be the raw information that I've seen. Like 
that that aspect of it is is really really important about being intentional because exactly what you said a business leader doesn't care that you created something that can be queried they care about the so what what does this matter and you know they may say well i've got these five questions that i want answered all the time so let's create a dashboard and then you can start to figure about who owns that that's been a, a constant question um Xavier Gumara Ragol who is at Adavinta talked about this too, of, um, you know, they have ownership extend much, much further into the visualization and that. So that way, um, the people who are owning the data product also own the insight generation and the actual conversation more, but that's, that's difficult. So I would love to give you space to react to that too, but we're also, um, the problem with, with, uh, so many interesting things is that we, we only have a, a certain amount of time. So I do also want to talk about um, one or two avenues that we could go down uh, for the rest of the conversation, which would be, do you want to talk about data product ownership and the challenges or um, a question that I, I'm asking people who are kind of further down the journey is what were the things that you would tell somebody early in their journey? Like, what would you tell them? What would you wish people had, had told you? What do you still wish people would tell you how to do? Like, what are the things that you wish that there were more content out there around so we can maybe trigger people to create content or trigger people to come and talk to you about? So either of those two, two I think, are good avenues to kind of head down as we we head towards uh, the end of the conversation. But I feel like both could be a, a hour-long conversation in and of itself. So. Uh, Indeed, and I feel the first one maybe is it can be a longer conversation than the second one. Uh, so maybe maybe let's cover uh, at least maybe Hubble has a different one. I think that what would I have wished someone told us when when we started? Um, I, I would have wished that they told us that you like we need to be approaching the problem that we have in hands and not the problem that we have in six months. Like when we started with this, uh, the way we organize ourselves. Um, the way we were looking at what we were going to build was as if, as if we had been in this journey for a few months. Like, let me give you an example. When we started creating capabilities, we were treating the platform team as a platform team, but the platform didn't exist. It was an intention of a platform. So we were kind of sitting in separate teams. One was consuming the existing platform. The other one was delivering the capabilities that didn't exist yet. And we had the platform acting like that, like providing a service. That obviously we failed there. It didn't work because the capability needed to be developed together with a team that was trying to use it. And and my my whole concept here is, yes, well, you can have your vision, but initially you're going to need to be super flexible and have teams that have never worked together, working together to develop something. And then they are going to be separated. And, and, and also something else that I think we didn't put enough emphasis in, and maybe not so immediately in the phase one, but maybe after the, the phase one, uh, was that you need to put a lot of focus on capabilities because initially we just wanted to prove that uh, we can move forward. And it took us six months, um, in exactly six months, the, the minimum capabilities were there and the, and the first data product were out of the door and we were super proud of that. But after that, it's all about scaling. And for us, scaling was about let's deliver more and more data products, but it should have been a lot more about how can we deliver data products faster? So how can we put 80% of our attention in the cycle time, in the in the actual time that takes to deliver a data product. How do we understand the frictions, the bottlenecks, rather than try to put many more teams 
um, trying to deliver their product when maybe our platform wasn't uh, wasn't there at, at that level in which you could have 10 teams delivering a data product a week. So that would be my, the thing that I would have loved that someone came and told me, uh, but how about you might have a very different one. Yeah. No, actually the first one that you mentioned was the one that I always think about is like, yeah, building this like cross-functional team. And when I say cross-functional, it's different functional areas and also across different departments. If in the organization that you're trying to do, it's, it separated, right? Um, for us, it was, so yeah, uh, totally, totally aligned with that one. Um, I would say also communication was, was something that, like if I would give advice to my, my younger self, which is another perspective of looking at it, uh, would be like, yeah, commu- I mean, more frequent repetition, communication about data mesh, about what data products, because as data people, we think people got it already. Um, one year from now, and it's it's not re- it's not true. Like people have not got it yet. I mean, some people, right? Like of course, data. M- most data people are totally uh, aware of what data product means and what data mesh is. But in a in a big organization, I mean, communication early. I mean, it will probably ease your growth um, further down the line, right? And will prevent you from repeating like uh, over and over when you have already developed uh, a lot of things, right? Um, so I would say, yeah, also make a conscious effort of communicating early uh, and constantly about what the benefits are from, from producing data products, from building a data mesh, because you cannot assume that people will get it with a few uh, with a few uh, sessions explaining, right? Uh, there needs to be different, different ways of communicating. Well, like people aren't API or, or aren't, API endpoints or anything, or, or, you know, I guess aren't consuming as if they were uh, an application where they only need to make the call once, right? Like you think about this thing that it's a repetitive call for the same information possibly because you, it doesn't just sink in, right? And, and I feel like um, it, even with data mesh, like my perception of it has changed massively. If you listen to the early episodes versus now, um, you know, I, I kind of, I, I kind of tell people to start at the beginning and kind of tell them not. I kind of tell, say like, grab, a, you know, listen to like five episodes of the more recent stuff, and then maybe start from the beginning and look at the evolution of even my own learning about this, of my own journey of this. And you know, uh, I'm somebody who's very, very deep in talking to a lot of people about this stuff. So I think that's really um, important, and I think that. That communication aspect, again, could be an entire episode in and of itself. So, um, but I, I, I think, um, there, again, there's a lot of different ways that we could head down for, for the last, uh, you know, kind of 10 minutes here. But, you know, where, where do you think that, that would be something that you haven't seen a lot of content out there on? Or is there, is there any one question that you think would be a good kind of place to, to think about how we wrap up the conversation just because there are so many threads, but they're 50 or 60 minute threads that we can pull on. Is there anything that you really think of that you think other people should know about or that you even have as open questions? Yeah, sure.
Well, and I think that's um, a very important aspect too of, of that we are still figuring this out. And, and, you know, I have some people tell me every single data product needs to be beneficial to the producer first. And so you have to find use cases that are beneficial to the producer and that there are people who are trying to, to beat on the domains and say, you have valuable information, give it to us. And, and as you've probably, you can probably tell us that doesn't work very well, does it? Uh, or, or you just go in, um, Scott Hawkins at ITV talked about, well, you know, we have the high level buy-in. So what we do is we literally go in and we rearrange their KPIs. And so we say, we're going to give you the space to do this, right? We're going to rearrange your KPIs. And this is actually going to be beneficial to your career. It's not just, will you please do this? Cause we need it as an organization or whatever. It's, embedding in it that those different aspects but every organization is different there's a lot of people that that come on and just say we're really fortunate because our domains were just bought in and then people are like well good for you but that's not us (laughs) so maybe what have you seen that 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 has worked somewhat well or maybe some some anti-patterns what have you tried that really that you don't think has worked well in that domain ownership driving I think it has two dimensions. Um, the first one is the domain definition, and the second one is the ownership itself. Um, just to give you a bit of our context, we we inherited the domains. Like essentially, we went with the what we call the product domains or the business domains. We just went. This is what existed. We started like that. Um, there is a reality is that the way in which the product evolves throughout the organization is not the same way as the data flows throughout the organization. Um, and that that is one thing that didn't work. Yeah, because we were like we were putting people far away from where they can actually um, con- from the data that they need to to do the job and 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 so on. So that didn't work for us. Uh, so in terms of domain uh, definition i think there is uh, a big effort from starting from the data organization and understanding how the data flows through the organization how where it gets changed where it gets enriched where where is it used and for what and, and kind of mapping that out so you can start defining those domains those contexts and 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 then uh, i think that initial steps is going to make the ownership a lot easier because it's going to be a lot more aligned and, and you're going to be able to um, to kind of identify it a lot better. But another part of the challenge is that you have different organizations in your own company. You're going to have the product one. You're going to have the engineering one. You're going to have the data one. And you don't want this to be completely incompatible or super different and so on. So that, that exercise, that part of the challenge, is also something that we are resolving because we know how data needs to look like. But at the same time, you want communication flows to be smooth. And that, that means compatibility between the different domains of the different parts of the company. Yeah, Jesse Anderson in his episode talked about, um, they did a study. And when communication flows or, or work flows outside of a single team, it takes 12x longer for it to get done. 
right? Like it's a, you know, so if you can keep it within the team, but then, you know, is your domain your company? And it's like, well, then we, then all of a sudden we're, we get to have, you know, the 12X speed up, right? No, no, that's not at all how it works. And so, um, you know, how big of a domain versus how small, and then you start to talk about subdomains. Um, uh, JGP from PayPal was on and he was talking about, their concept of a domain for data mesh right now is a two pizza team, right? It's a three to five person team and every domain can only have one data product. But like when you talk about like Roche who are on and, and you know, a couple of people who, who've worked in and around Roche have been on and Roche is a, you know, what, 100,000 plus person company and they have 21 domains, right? So you obviously have tons of subdomains underneath that but you can't say there's one data product for, you know, if even if you just uh, generously size them all the same, they're all 5,000 plus person domains. So you can't have one data product for that. That, that wouldn't work. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's, it's such a difficult challenge. And, and how have you, when, when you're having these, these conversations, how has the, you now own this, or how do we get you to a place where you can own this? How has that conversation gone? I, well, first thing I, w- I was going to say that that conversation is, is hard. It's, it's not easy, especially when when that ownership probably something that was not in the radar of the target domain, right? Um, I think there's two types. Yeah, when when it doesn't come naturally when, when when there is a change in the domain and therefore a change of ownership of the data products that the domain should own and then the easier one is well you already had this domain ownership it's just that you had not been owning this data product and that's that's a bit easier it's like okay yeah increasing the scope of the domain or the size of the domain right um but yeah in general terms of that that conversation it's it, it's a hard one i think it's useful to have some some very good narrative of, uh, of motivations and why why do you want to build these domains? Um, what are you trying to achieve with that? Um, hopefully some heuristics to define the granularity, the size of the domains um, in terms of, yeah, maybe data products or business capabilities or, um, yeah, bounded contexts. Um we don't have those yet, for example, uh, but that's something that would be useful. Um, but I think I felt the need of those that criteria to define a domain needed in those conversations, you know, because it's like, well, where do we draw the line, right? It's like, well, yeah, customer domain, for example, yeah, uh, owns everything on, on customer, but orders, for example, for us, it's a complex one, right? And, and I imagine for any e-commerce business will be like owners, yeah, orders, because orders happen everywhere, right? Like it's the core of the thing uh, of a business. So this kind of heuristics and ways to bound that, those contexts and the size, definitely helpful. Yeah, I agree. Awesome. Okay. Well, uh, again, thank you so much for, for all of this. I mean, we've covered a whole lot, right? Um, but is there anything that we didn't cover that you want to kind of wrap the episode with or, or anything that you wish we had covered? Or do you want to make a call to action for other people to uh, put out more content around anything specific? I would agree with Habo that there's not, there's not been written enough about domain definition and, and domain ownership. Um, I think that 
like reading about how different people have approached the first steps of building a data mesh platform. Because yeah, this is technology agnostic, but also you want to have different examples to understand how some have done it and then take the key takeaways. I think that that part is is uh, interesting. Uh, and by the way, we are we are talking about hours soon in a meetup. Uh, but yeah, it's, I think there's there's not enough content about how you actually go and and go and get uh, to build a platform for data mesh. Yeah, and if 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 someone from Barcelona is listening, or even from Spain, because we have Madrid offices too, um, we are doing meetups uh, in our HQ offices around data, data mesh tech. So uh, check us up on Meetup. Uh, I think there's Global as a as a company. There will be we are doing these these things uh, recurrently, uh, and we'll definitely get value of bringing other perspectives. Yeah, and I'll I'll drop the link to that in the show notes. And and yeah, I mean I I think there are some people that uh, would love to kind of connect and everything on that. But so uh, I'm sure there's going to be lots and lots of people that want to follow up with you, you know, outside of on the, the meetup side, uh, uh, where's the best place to follow up and what do you want them following up about? So I think LinkedIn is always a good, uh, a good place. Uh, I think that, yeah, we always love to talk about uh, the challenges and, and how different companies are solving uh, this type of problem so kind of we are trying to build a community of data mesh in spain and i think that anyone wanting to enrich that community and, and reaching out for that would be amazing and also we are uh, we are hiring especially on on data platform engineers and data engineers uh very heavily now because we really believe in 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 this data mesh vision and and what is going, is leading us so yeah if if they want to reach out because they find our challenge interesting and what we've been talking about interesting would be love it. We would love to tell us, tell them more about it. Yeah. 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 Uh, Javo Granda, LinkedIn and Twitter as well. I tweet some stuff uh, around data, uh, some thoughts there. So yeah, that, that's, that's also good. Okay. I'll drop those, those links in the show notes, but um, thank you so much for the time here today. This has been really helpful and really interesting. And, and I also want to thank everyone out there for listening. I'd again like to thank my guests today. Pablo Hiner Abad, Global Director of Data, and Javier Javo Granda, Senior Data Manager at Glovo. You can find links to their LinkedIn's, Javo's Twitter, and the Glovo Meetup in Spain in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest, you know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? 
We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. Thank mm-hmm. you.